Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So today is week four, the final week of the blame game. The first week of this series, we talked about the danger of assigning blame to others, that when you blame someone else, you also give them the power to fix you. And I told you that God is the only one who can fix you. The second week was about self-blame, that if Satan can't get you to blame someone else, that he will settle for you blaming yourself. And I explained to you how Jesus not only paid for the sin, but he also took the blame. And we must realize that about the, the things that we have done that we are having a hard time forgiving ourselves for. Jesus is both our sin offering and he is our guilt offering. Then last week we looked at the age old phrase, the devil made me do it. And I told you we have given too much credit to Satan. The devil can't make you do anything. He can tempt you. He can manipulate the circumstances. He can even accuse you, but he cannot control you. Satan cannot make you do it. And today, as we close this series, I want to look at the hardest blame to move beyond, and it's definitely the hardest to teach in this series. Today, I want to talk to you about blaming God, blaming God, because in this room, I know right now there are many people that, whether you meant to or not, I think at, at some point in time, we've all done it, that we've gone through something in life, there's a circumstance, there's a hardship, and, and we've wondered where is God at in all of this, and, and we have a tendency to point the finger at God. And so hopefully by the end of this today, you will understand that a little bit better, and if not, then it'll give you plenty of material to talk about at lunch as you run me out of town. Okay. There's a scene from one of my favorite movies. It's a very inspirational movie. I, I love this movie. It's called Bruce Almighty. Where Bruce, who is played by Jim Carrey, he gets fired. And then as he's leaving the, the, uh, his work where he was just fired from, he gets jumped and beat up by a bunch of thugs. And his girlfriend, that's played by Jennifer Aniston, when he gets home, she asks him, she says, um, or she actually makes the statement, she says, well, thank God you were all right, to which he very sar sarcastically responds, um, God? Yeah, let's thank God, shall we? And if you've watched this scene before, you'll know that he goes on this sarcastic rant, and during the time, she kind of shares a cliche, to which he responds with a cliche, and he says, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I have no bird, I have no bush. God has taken my bird and my bush. And when the dog pees on the TV stand, uh, he, he looks over, Bruce looks over, and he says, Oh, that's great, Sam, but you missed your target. I'm over here. And his girlfriend says, Don't get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. And Bruce responds with these infamous words, No, it's God's fault. He gave him the wrong coordinates. I'm over here. This scene is a comical look at how humanity responds often to God. When something bad happens, we assign the blame to God. When there's no explanation of why it happened, humanity points their finger at God. And it's funny to me how everyone wants to get in on the action. Even atheists that don't believe in God, they want to point the finger at God and blame Him, or they want to blame God's children. They want to blame the church, and they don't even believe in Him to begin with. One of the leading factors that causes people to blame God is a phrase 
that is not even in the Bible. Many people think it is in the Bible. It's not in the Bible, and it's this phrase, act of God, act of God. You know, that was created by insurance companies. You know that, right? And there were a couple of insurance agents in our first service, and I saw them nodding their head. This is created by insurance companies. This is basically saying we do not want to be responsible. We do not want to pay out. We do not want to cover things that happen naturally, natural disasters. And so they're, they're pointing the finger at God, whether they mean to or not. They're pointing the finger at God, and they're blaming him for the natural disaster that they do not want to pay for. It, it's God's fault. It, it, it's an act of God. God is the one that doesn't want you to have a roof on your house. God thought that a large tree limb in your living room would be a nice addition to your decor. It's a little rustic, so it'll look good in there. That's, that's God's fault. And we live in this scapegoating society that feels the necessity to blame someone or to blame something. And anytime that something negative happens, people want to know who's at fault. You watch the news today. I actually don't watch the news today. It's depressing. But if you do watch the news today, you watch. There are, there are fingers being pointed. No matter what the circumstance, somebody is at fault. And if we can't figure out who to blame, then we will just blame God. And as we bring this series to a close, I want to bring your attention to the one that we blame when we have run out of people to blame. And so turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, I'm going to read the first six verses, then we will pause, and then we will come back to John chapter 11 in a few moments. So John chapter 11, and this is a very familiar story out of the Bible. It's about Lazarus. If you know the story of Lazarus, Jesus raised this man from the dead. We're actually not going to get into the resurrection part of it today. That's what some of you want to hear, and some of you just, just love it when I preach you happy, and that's okay. It, it, it happens from time to time. Today, we're not, we're not going to get to the resurrection of Lazarus, okay? But we need to read of the events leading up to that. So John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill. It's important that you recognize the word certain man there. This isn't just any old man. This is a special person. This is someone that meant a lot to Jesus. It is a certain man. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's troubling, isn't it? Because on the surface, this seems like an extremely odd response. That if Jesus truly loved Lazarus and he truly loved Mary and Martha the way that the Bible just, just portrayed it, if he truly loved them, then why would he delay two days when he's got a friend that's knocking on death's door? Why would he waste time? Why wouldn't he just, just immediately leave and go to his sick friend in order to raise him up off of his deathbed? During our daughter Kendall's freshman year of college a couple of years ago, we were at dinner one night with Wayne and Dinah Snellgrove, at, and we were at Olive Garden. I remember the table we were sitting at. 
when Mandy got the phone call that Kendall was very sick. And I could tell Mandy was done with dinner. She was ready to go. She was ready to go home, pack up. She was ready to get to her daughter. And I'm the kind, the kind of guy that I just want to kind of step back, evaluate, you know, before we drive seven hours up to Cleveland, Tennessee, let's, let's check this thing out. But Mandy had already made up her mind. And so we excused ourselves from dinner. We went home. Mandy's calling her mom because she needs a riding partner. And before you knew it, Mom and Granny are making a beeline for Cleveland, Tennessee because her baby is sick. They left Florida at 11 p.m., drove all night, and arrived at 5 a.m. Made great timing, by the way. <laughs> I, uh, I, I tried to talk her out of it. I was like, Mandy, listen, she, she's, she's laying down. She's in her dorm. And, and by the way, her 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 dorm mate was, was gone for the, the weekend. So Kendall was there alone, which made mama that more anxious to get to her. And I was just like, she, she's asleep now. Um, just, just sleep, wake up, you know, four or 5 AM and then, and then drive up there. And by the time you get there, you know, it'll be cl closer to noon and, and, and everything will be fine. I, there was nothing I could say to convince that woman from going to her baby. She was ready to go. And, and I guess I'm guilty of this too. Because just, just this past week, our son was sick. Now, he's 21 years old. He's a young man. And uh, Caleb got real sick before he was supposed to fly out to Iowa uh, for the NCAA tournament. And so he gets real sick. And I knew that we were not going to talk him out of it. Uh, he probably did not need to go. And, and honestly, here's what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. I don't want my son to be the one responsible for getting the entire Gator basketball team sick. <laughs> And they have to drop out of the tournament for that reason. And um, thankfully, that didn't happen. They dropped out of the tournament because they had a very low shooting percentage in the second half last night. That's why they <laughs> dropped out of the tournament. But Caleb flew out there, and, and you can ask him. I mean, it, it was every few hours I was texting him. I was worried because I knew what he looked like before he got on that plane. I even told him, I said, son, sit towards the back of the plane near the restroom, you know. And, uh, and, and I, I was just so worried about him and, and just constantly checking on him. And, the, and that first night and some the next day when everybody else is, you know, checking out Des Moines, but there's really nothing to check out in Des Moines anyway. But as, as everybody else is, is checking it out, he's stuck in the hotel room and and so I started pulling up flights. I, I just started looking up. What is it going to cost me to get to him? If this thing, you know, goes from bad to worse and he gets sicker, you know, they, everybody else has responsibilities. This kid's going to be stuck in a hotel room. I need to get to him. And it, it doesn't hurt that he gets two tickets to all the tournament games too. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, really, I was going to get there and I was, I was just going to, nursing back to health and then I was going to go to the games that's what I was going to do why are we so willing to respond like that to our children when they need us why are we so willing to help and it's simple it's because we love them that's what you do when you love someone you will go to the extremes to nurse them you'll go to the extremes to help them when you love someone there is not anything that will hold you back from getting to them because you want to be there for them. And so wouldn't it make sense that, that if Jesus truly cared for Lazarus the way that the Bible says that he does, that he would have dropped everything to get to Bethany to heal Lazarus, his close friend. 
And I want you to notice that John did not say that Jesus was having a really busy week, had a number of projects that he had to get done, and so he's going to have to delay his trip for a couple of days. That's not what happened. John was not suggesting that Jesus couldn't get a flight out, and he was going to have to stay on standby for a couple of days till you know, a seat became available. No, no, Jesus just chose not to go. And what messes you up is this little word in there that says so, and, and, and so he, he, he loved them, so he, he didn't go. And all these little question marks just appear in my mind. It just doesn't make sense to me why Jesus would not go to his sick friend Lazarus. And so after a two-day delay, he finally starts making the trip to see him. John chapter 11, verse 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. In other words, Mary was so ticked at Jesus, she didn't even want to go outside and see him. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she, said, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Both sisters have the same response. When they finally see Jesus face to face, they sent for him to come while their brother was still sick. Why? Because they knew. They had witnessed firsthand the miracles that he had performed. They had seen him heal the blinded eyes. They, they had watched him as, as he helped the lame walk again and he healed their bodies. They had watched firsthand. John chapter 11 is towards the end of the, the earthly ministry of Jesus. And, and, and so they had witnessed all of these things. They know that he is capable of healing their brother. But now he's dead. And because he's dead, there's, there's someone that's got to be blamed. Because that's what the world does. It's not a new thing in our society. We've been blaming, as I've taught you already since the very beginning. Blame is what the enemy uses to divide us. And someone has to be responsible for this. We sent for you. You didn't come. This is your fault. Both sisters look at him separately and say, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. It's your fault. He's dead because you were not here. And it hurts when you feel like God doesn't care. 
When it's you that's going through the trouble, when it's you that had the tragedy, when you are going through life and you're facing difficult circumstances, it's tough when you just don't feel like God cares. You're watching other people be blessed. You're watching other people be healed. You're seeing other people with financial breakthroughs. But no, for some reason, God is not aiming those blessings at your life. No, God has forgotten about you, or at least that's what you think. And you've been there. Everybody in this room, you've been there. And you need God to intervene, but he chooses not to. And it's painful to know that God can, but chooses not to. It's tough to know that he can, but then he doesn't. I don't even want to focus on the eventual outcome. We, we know that Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, and, and that certainly makes this an easier pill to swallow. But, but I don't even want to get into those verses because that does not negate the ministry, that, or the, the misery, rather. This does not negate the misery that these sisters still had to feel for four days. And, and when you've lost a loved one, unexpectedly, four days feels like a lifetime. It's almost like this, this, this mean trick that Jesus is playing on them. That's what it feels like when you just read it. Like he knows he's capable, and he knows that when he gets there, he's going to raise him from the dead. He told his disciples that. He said, this is a, isn't going to end in death. But these sisters don't know that. And it's, it's like a mean trick that he's playing on them. And it's events like these that lead people to question God Events like these that lead people to question God's intentions, even God's existence. Because if God is so loving, why is there so much hate in the world? If God cares so much, why does he allow so much tragedy? If, if God is so merciful, why do we experience misery? If God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? And these are valid questions that deserve an answer. And these are questions that I've struggled with this week. And what I figured out is that unfortunately Christianity struggles to provide answers to these questions. After the Sandy Hook school shooting in 2012, I remember I was watching CNN and there was a, a prominent Christian leader who was being interviewed. It's actually a Christian leader that I respect very much. And, and as they were being interviewed and they were all trying to make sense of the tragedy, he didn't mean to, but his words suggested that 20 children and six adults were killed in that school shooting because America has successfully kicked God out of schools. He basically said, we will no longer allow prayer. We've removed the Ten Commandments. And now we're, we're surprised that evil is happening in our schools. And, and I'm not saying that I completely disagree with that I mean, though his comments certainly support my agenda of getting God back in the schools, they also suggest that somehow 
God was not willing to save those innocent children from evil. I don't think he meant to blame God. But the way he said it put the blame on God. He didn't mean to, but in his comments, this Christian leader inadvertently suggested that maybe God's ego is so big because you kicked him out that he has now refused to save innocent lives. And, 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 and if you really step back and look at this, you'll agree with me that this is a dangerous mindset. It, it was not his intentions, but he basically told the parents of murdered children, God didn't care enough about your babies to intervene. That God was off doing something else because you kicked him out of the schools. I'm going to do my best to try and explain this to you. We must not blame God for the evil that is in this world. And because we don't have a good understanding of the fall of man, we don't understand why evil is present. When God created the heavens and the earth, it was all under his control. God then put it under our control. We were created to rule and reign. He gave us dominion over every living thing and non-living thing. And we relinquished that. And we allowed the enemy to take that, that authority from us. And evil is present in this world today because of Satan, the enemy of our souls. Listen to 1 John 5 and 19. We know that we are children of God. I love how he says it. We know. We know this. This is certain. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. John 10 and 10 that we shared last week says the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. Make no doubt about it. Satan is the father of the evil that we encounter. Saddam, Hitler, bin Laden, all influenced by Satan. He didn't make them do it, but he strongly influenced them to do it. And they were deceived. And the enemy convinces people to harm others for their own personal benefit. School shootings, every one of them. It is a work of the enemy. People are influenced to harm people, God's creation. But church, we must learn not to blame God for the evil that is in this world. We've got to learn to point the finger in the right direction. God didn't give him the authority. We gave him the authority. And it didn't happen when we kicked God out of schools. It happened in the Garden of Eden. And evil is present on this world today because of that. So understand that, that evil is prevalent. That for this season right now, Satan has some authority. When it comes to sickness, natural disasters, we must also realize that God is not to blame for these things. Who can forget the images of Hurricane Michael after it swept through the Florida panhandle? Some of the most disturbing images. Do you remember the pictures of, of Mexico Beach and how devastating it was? The before pictures where you would see houses sitting by, 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 the, by the gulf. And, and then the next picture, 
those same houses wiped out with nothing but a concrete pad there. So many people die in these, these senseless natural disasters of what they want to call acts of God. God doesn't have anything to do with that. We live on a cursed planet. It happened in the garden. Read it. This planet has been cursed. And it might not seem fair, but we are subject to natural disasters. Whether we like it or not, the human race on this planet, we are subject to natural disasters. And even Christians die in natural disasters. Even Christians will get sick. Second Corinthians 5 and 1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. When you read that, you want to move right on past it. You don't want to camp out there. You don't want to stop and realize what God's Word is saying because when you read it this way, you start to realize that God has not forsaken us. That even in the middle of, 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 of so much evil, even being inhabitants on a cursed planet, with all of that being said, there's still this promise of this eternal life. We look at the 75, 85, if some of you are lucky, maybe you'll see a little bit more. Some, unfortunately, don't get that far. And we look at this lifespan that we have, and it seems so long, but the Bible says it's just a vapor. It is just this moment. It is just a glimpse. And we don't have an understanding of eternity and how big eternity is, that there is no ending to that. That for a child of God, we live forever. And so no, He has not forsaken us. But we must understand that this life is temporary and what happens to us on this planet does not dictate our eternity. We may be subject to the decay of this world, but we are not subject to it forever. 1 Peter 5 and 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Church, understand this. Whether He heals us here or he heals us there, he will give us an eternal quality of life. That's what we want. We want a quality of life. But we are so focused on the here and now that we cannot see eternity. God is concerned with eternity. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. So in John 10 and 10 that we shared last week, we shared it earlier today, where, where it says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus follows with the second half of that verse. He says, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came so that, so that you would have everlasting life. And so church, we must get an understanding of eternity. That this life is just a small portion of, of what our lives are meant to encompass. Evil and nature, they may both lay claim to our time here on earth, but they have no power over our eternity. And if you are a child of God, your eternity is founded in Christ Jesus. And we've got to trust that in the end, God will make sense of it all, not in the end, but in the forever. 
That's how long we have for God to make sense of this. There's not just this one moment, this one day where it's like, click, there it is. I get it now. No, God says, I've got forever to show you this. I've got forever to teach you this. In his autobiography, Scottish scholar William Barclay, he tells the tragic story of how he lost his 21-year-old daughter and her fiancé in a boating accident, and they both drowned. I can't imagine. Our twins are 21 years old. I can't imagine. Some of you have had to go through this, or you've lost a child. And I can't imagine the pain that William Barclay had to go through. He wrote in his autobiography, he said, God did not stop that accident at sea, but he did still the storm in my own heart so that somehow my wife and I came through that terrible time still in our own two feet. If you know anything about William Barclay, the scholar, you'll know that some of his writings about Christianity even though he confesses to be a Christian, they're, they're very controversial. Matter of fact, I would never suggest for you to study the things that, that he writes. Though some are good, there's some that are so far off to me, and I, I certainly don't agree with his theology. But when someone loses a child, it's not the time to confront them with that theology. Barclay tells of this anonymous letter that he received in the mail after his daughter's death by one of his critics. And here's what the letter said. It said, I know why God killed your daughter. It was to save her from corruption by your heresies. Can you imagine reading that letter? For years he struggled with this letter and not only did he have the pain of losing his daughter, but now this letter stated that both he and God were blamed. And the writer of the letter wasn't even trying to blame God, but that's how, that's how easy it happens. A few years later, this grieving father would say these words. If I had known the writer's address, I would have written back in pity, not anger, saying as John, Wet John Wesley once said, your God is my devil. I might not agree with all of his writings, but I have to agree with him there. If we serve a God that just kills our children, then that God is my devil. God is not to blame. Your heavenly Father is not to blame Sickness, disease, natural disasters. They're not God's fault. And I know that there's moments when, when God chooses to heal. And there's moments when He chooses to calm the storm. 
And then there's times when he doesn't. And I don't get that. I'm not here to explain all of that. I don't have the answers for that. That's why I've had to work all week to get to this point. Just so I can tell you this. Don't blame God because he is reconciling it all for eternity. And it may not make sense here on this planet. But one day it will. Colossians 1 and 20 says, And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything and heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Here's what I know. God is not obligated to your, to your mortal being. He's not obligated to your mortal being, but he is recklessly, recklessly committed to your immortal being. God is more concerned with your eternity than he is with your right now. So don't blame God for the disasters. Don't blame God for the tragedies. If you want to blame God with something, blame him with this, that he loved you so much that he was willing to let his own son die for you. Oh, if you want to point the fingers at him, point the fingers at him because he loves you with such a a reckless abandonment that, that he would forget everything that makes sense to chase after you just to save your eternity. So if you want to blame him, blame him with that. And when things happen on this planet that don't make sense, recognize the evil that's behind it. Understand that we live on a cursed planet and there's just things that happen to good and the bad. He, it rains on the just and the unjust, doesn't it? It just happens. It's just life. But don't blame God. Because somewhere in this whole thing, He's working it out for you. Somewhere in all this, He's fighting for your eternity. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.